Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Continuing our season outlook series, now with the Portland Trailblazers. Interesting franchise. Didn't do much other than moving on from Alan Crabb. This offseason made the big move, though, for Yusuf Nurkic, a reason perhaps for optimism with this team. And joining us now is the host of Lockdown Blazers and a good buddy of mine, Eric Gunderson. Eric, good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Nate. Very excited to to be back on Dunked On. Thank you for having me. Uh, love listening and obviously uh, great to talk to you since it's been a while. Yeah, so uh, where I want to start with, and I think it's more relevant for this team than uh, some others, it, we're doing the Hawks later with, with Brad Rowland, and they've completely changed their team. What I really want to focus on is the period after Nurkic came over, before he suffered uh, that uh, leg fracture late in the season. What did they look like d- during that time? Why were they so effective? I, I, I think the, the rolling threat that Nurkic provided both, you know, just, just just as a guy that rolled to the rim and gave them a presence in the paint was huge because Mason Plumlee was a really good pick and roll player. At, he was good at passing the ball out of the pick and roll is basically what he was good at. And Nurkic could do a lot more out of it. And I thought was really just better at rolling to the rim. I think Plumlee was good at passing the ball, but it didn't really, I, I, I felt often at times that some of his assists weren't really helping, you know, it was just because that was their only option in terms of playing playmakers and and that was the best way to use him but he didn't really do enough I think it, it to in variety to really make a big difference I think that's one of the biggest things that Nurkic provided and he also I thought was a very unselfish player I, I although he didn't rack up as many assists as Plumlee did I thought he was a more unselfish yeah. player this right actually I think it, I looked at it I think it was actually slightly larger than Plumlee's lo- was let me look that up at least on basketball reference yeah Nurkic was at you know look at per, per 100 here or oh yeah so, so he was he was uh, yeah 17.7 and pulling was 21.4 when i looked at it shortly after he came over and they really went on that terror it was actually about the same it went down a little bit uh, um that's one thing we talked about i think on, on a 15 and 60 of, about portland but I, I felt like nurkic was able to fit into that role for Plumley, and to the extent that he maybe was passing a little less it's because he could actually do something with the ball when they threw it to him on the pick and roll instead of having to pass it yeah exactly he he can actually get a basket and you know he may not you know one of the things that i think you maybe you're can you can be concerned about is you know is he going to be that efficient again in the paint and 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 you know he shot over 50 percent, which was really nice and uh you know is he going to do that again obviously is he going to be healthy for the season i think is also big question for him but I think when he was out there and he was healthy that was a huge thing and I think on the, on the defensive side he was better than I thought as well uh and and I thought was 
much stronger than Plumley in a, again in variety of ways. I think Plumley's rim protection stats last year were actually pretty good, but in the past he just hasn't been a good rim protector. And I think uh, he, I thought he gambled a lot, and I just thought that Nurkic was just a, a much smarter defender th- than him. Yeah, nine point six net rating with Nurkic on the floor. On the floor, one hundred three point seven on defense, which is quite solid. And then the offense really took off. and to give you some idea here overall for the season blazers 107.8 on offense 107.0 on defense so a 0.8 net rating on the way to that 41 and 41 record uh but yeah Nurkic only played 20 games uh but averaged around 30 minutes before the injury and so the question that i have is do you think that what they did with him in the lineup is sustainable is that the baseline we should be looking at to try to project this year's team or or is that maybe a little too optimistic I think it's I think it's a little too optimistic uh, in large part because well not in large part but in part to uh, they traded Alan Crabbin who's a really important player for them and even though he was overpaid for his contract and what is what he produced uh, I, one of the things that happened when Nurkic came on was that Crab really saw his three point shot jump up and I think he st- and he started to get more open looks and he was just knocking more shots down and that helped Portland you know get past Denver for that eight seed and who's going to make three pointers for them on the wing is a really is a question that I have because yeah, they have no the, other sh- I mean, like yeah. Myers Leonard is probably the third best shooter on this team right now right probably the, among the people yeah. who could actually conceivably play regularly yeah and 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 uh, Harkless shot it well last year but he kind of really shrunk in the playoffs and got scared to shoot a little bit and I hope you know you know he's a young player and so you know you, you hope obviously that it just doesn't get in his head but it may have you never know and and then Aminu had a regression year uh last year and so you don't know if he's going to hit threes and and I think that there are a lot of questions there and then you have Evan Turner it's like I, I mean of all the guys playing on the wing I, you know maybe Jake Lehman gets some run and he actually knocks down shots but you know he's been more of a streak shooter so far in his career but he looks like he has the potential to shoot but you know that would be maybe a guy but I, yeah Myers Leonard's probably the best shooter on the team now outside of Damon cj on the perimeter uh, I, I think that's pretty that's a pretty solid number three right there right now yeah and one reason perhaps for regression is that when Nurkic was on the floor they shot 41 percent as a team from three-point range I, i'm not sure that we can necessarily expect that to continue the pretty small sample size involved there but you know i, I think certainly part of that could be that he's opening things up a, a little bit more as well and also i think noteworthy too that wasn't evan turner out when they first acquired Nurkic. like wasn't he like on the shelf with that broken hand for most of the games that Nurkic played or am I getting the timing no 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 you're right uh when I think Turner broke his hand or whatever broke his finger it was hand or finger uh I think it was hand actually and 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 yeah it was hand like you said uh but yeah when when that happened uh that was right before the all-star break I think it was in a game against Dallas and then Nurkic happened like right before the all-star break so most of that time that they had with Nurkic and the the success they had was without Turner they they added Turner in later but yeah I mean but they didn't you know but then Nurkic went down so it was it was 
it's really that's a combination that we haven't seen a whole uh, a ton of that needs to prove itself yeah and uh, crab obviously is still you know one of the best three-point shooters in the league had some defensive problems i mean i thought that was a great trade for portland don't get me wrong but i do think they are going to miss him to some degree i mean unless harkless or aminu and aminu i i i fear that last year is more indicative of what he can do from behind the three-point line because really the year before that was the outlier when he actually had some success uh, so uh, that that's definitely a concern for me and it's really going to test this year is my thought on how to build this team was all right damon cj not great defenders at the one and the two but those guys are good enough shooting off the pick and roll that they can kind of make a good offense by themselves and so build more defense with the rest of the team and this team may test that a little bit more than might be optimal yeah it's not uh, you know they missed they're really gonna miss alan crab because of that and uh they he was playing just, what did he play he was third on the yeah, team in minutes right? yeah they, i think yeah third on the team in minutes uh and and was often in the closing lineups as well like that's another thing too is that he was usually in the game late down the stretch I, and also you know his defense was uneven uh he definitely struggled there but he also ha- made big plays defensively at times and 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 has the talent i think it just it's the focus that is is not there and that's usually what it is with defense anyway but uh i think he can be a good defender and that's another thing that i think down the stretch you know whether we like to say it or not you know guys play harder in the fourth quarter and and i think uh crab is one of those guys and 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 i think they're going to miss him down the stretch well so they really i was one of the topics that i had here is how do the new additions fit in that basically is going to be their rookies they moved up trading 10 and or i'm sorry 15 and 20 for zach collins who uh became the number 10 pick and then they also with number 26 drafted caleb swanigan how are those guys gonna fit in here do you see those guys playing much or are they gonna be typical rookie on a good team kind of on the fringes i i think that of the two guys now granted it was summer league but of the two guys the one that seems the most ready to contribute on this season's team is is swanigan for me uh he has a level of competence at the four that even though he maybe didn't shoot it efficiently in the summer league i just think his rebounding his understanding of the game you know if they can get him some minutes i i i think that he's a guy that might be able to play i i i just think his he, he's very competent for a player his age and i think that the Blazers yeah. have missed. He's got out a lot of high level experience. He played with Team USA, played big minutes at Purdue Collins for all his talent. Really, I think he was only actually a starter on his team one year in the past six. That was a set that Danny told me. So you have to imagine that even if he is talented, it's going to take him some time. Um, and Swanigan, I thought it was interesting that he, I think he was only six out of 22, is my memory, on three pointers in Vegas. But to get up 22 attempts is actually more than. Than I would have thought from him from NBA three-point range yeah he looks comfortable shooting it he looks comfortable getting the ball in the post and ma- and and more importantly I think making plays out of the post and out of the pick and roll he's really good at setting screens and I just like the way he has a feel for the game and I I think it is you know way I, I think he has a level of competence that you know it is is the Blazers you know backup bigs for the last couple of years just haven't had they don't 
have that you know that next level IQ. And I think what you said about Collins is right. I think he is talented, but he's he's very inexperienced still. So did you like that pick, the the Collins pick, trading uh, fifteen and twenty to go up and get him? Well, you know when when your team really needs wings, uh, it's hard to to say that you wouldn't be. They good signed Evan Turner to eight me eighteen million a year. They don't need wings. <laughs> they signed Evan Turner. They're fine. Yeah. So I I mean there you go. And I I think a guy that uh, I I mean Collins. A lot of people had said you know is it you know can't you know definitely super super talented guy. But you know I I thought a lot about need. I mean, at the Swanigan pick, I didn't really want a big there either. I, you know, I was okay with Collins if they went and got another wing or something. Like, I, I was thinking Ojale would be a nice guy that they could have looked at. Uh, or even, you know, looking at, it, you know, being revisionist a little bit, like Donovan Mitchell at that number 10 spot. Like, I mean, that guy, I know that Portland already has a bunch of small guards, but he can score and he can he's can defend. He has that wingspan and, and it seems a lot like a, he could be like a Norm Powell type. And and I really liked I really liked him uh, as well. And also, you know, they had Justin Jackson there too, who has looked good, I think, and can shoot it. Uh, and a team that really needs outside shooting and, and to, to, on the wing, like that's where they need it more than anything. Uh, by the way, uh, Evan Turner and Yusuf Nurkic, going back to our previous discussion, only played in eight games together, thirty nine minutes, negative thirty three point six net rating with those two on the on the floor together. But uh, a, a small sample there, of course. But I. I agree with you i mean mitchell a little tough to criticize because i don't think people were talking about him in quite that range i mean most people were saying this is a 10 player draft collins is the 10th guy and not 10 player draft but that, that the tier ended with collins and so th- that pick i mean the statistical translations like him i like you really question the, the fit i mean you don't want to get caught with drafting for need especially if you're in the top 10 but more not only his fit on this team but just he seems like kind of a 4.5 not a great fit defensively in the modern game maybe if he can defend the center position and shoot the ball he becomes that but they also already have Yusuf Nurkic on this team who maybe he's a hedge against Nurkic getting a massive offer in restricted free agency next year but definitely not someone who I think is going to be able to help this team anytime soon no and I like I mean I what you said about the stats I think is right on and his defensive statistics were very good in the summer league and I thought that if one thing was really encouraging about his very short stint at summer league, it seems like he has a knack for defense, which with big guys is almost always never the case. Uh, and, and he kind of understands it and he's pretty quick. You know, it, I, the point you make about him shooting, I think if he can just be a, a good pick and pop guy uh, and, 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 and set screens and, and maybe block some shots and, and, and shoot threes, you know, that he could be a good player, but it's just, you know, I, I agree with what you said. It's, he doesn't have the experience really you have Nurkic there I think it is a hedge against Nurkic I think it's also a hedge against uh Myers Leonard and Ed Davis and Noah Vonley who uh Leonard has a a big contract that he has struggled to live up to so far and then you have Ed Davis who's an expiring contract and then you have Vonley who's also an expire who's going into restricted free agency this summer yeah that's interesting so how do you see that front court rotation shaking out presumably the starters are going to be hard Aminu and Nurkic and then the question becomes who's uh, Turner is going to get a ton of time on the wing at small forward maybe even play a little two because they don't really have a backup two they want to I mean you have to imagine he's actually he'll be he might play almost exclusively at the two come to think of it unless because they like to either play CJ or
or Dame at the one at all times. So anytime that those guys aren't both in there, it'll probably be Turner. And then maybe in the closing lineup, whether it's Harkless, Turner, Aminu probably will always be in there just to, for defense. It'd be interesting to see which direction they, they go there. So I think that's all pretty straightened out. But then when you get into behind Aminu and behind Nurkic, you've got really five guys with some level of pedigree. Swanigan, first rounder, Collins, we talked about, Vonley showed a little something down the stretch, although he was lost in that Warriors series. Uh, Leonard uh, making 10 million a year. And then Ed Davis, uh, probably the best of those guys uh, as far as what he's done returning from shoulder surgery. So he's kind of out of the mix right now, but a guy who's been the most effective of any of those guys historically. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think uh, one of the things with Ed Davis is because I think he, because he is probably the best guy and the most reliable so far in his career and his track record reflects that, but he is coming off shoulder surgery. But I think if he comes back healthy, I think he's a really big candidate to get moved, I think, so that, you know, they can avoid the luxury tax by by moving on from him, because uh, I think he's he would get them out of that. Um, and I think yeah, he'll Davis, seven million dollar expiring contract this season. And I guess it depends how well they're doing, too. I mean, if they're if he's playing really well for them and they're well in the mix for the playoffs, harder to move him if they're on the fringes and just getting ready to get steamrolled by Golden State in the first round again. It's a lot easier to to move him, stay out of the tax because they're going to have another uh, with Nurkic getting ready to get a new contract, and we'll see whether they can agree on an extension with him or not. But I think they do really want to stay out of the tax this year because they could very well be in it again next season. Yeah, so they, they want to avoid that, and I, I I do think Aminu plays a lot at the four again, and I think I, right now I'd had Vonley, so behind Nurkic, I think Nurkic obviously at, at center is is un, unquestioned, but behind him at, at the five, I would say that Ed Davis probably, but it, I think it's a toss-up right now for me between Ed Davis and Vonley because uh, the team has invested in Vonley. Uh, obviously, they traded Nick Batum for him. He was kind of the, you know, the crown jewel of that trade but at the same time you know he's had chances but his minutes with Von with uh, Nurkic excuse me were very good and I thought he also had some good moments as a small ball center and you know I think he'll get a chance there and he was a good finisher uh, with Nurkic too I thought that was the biggest thing is he was good at just being the dunker in situations and I think Portland has has lacked that a lot is just that presence on the inside and someone getting to the rim other than Lillard really and and uh so I, I would say that Davis and Vonley uh, I, I think both of those guys are going to play those would be my backup four five uh and I think Aminu would play a lot of four and then Nurkic of course at, at the five a lot but I think those are going to be the four guys I think it's gonna be really hard for uh, Swanigan or Myers Leonard, uh, you know, to get in the rotation. I, but I think it, it, there is going to be a competition. And I think it's all going to get sorted out in training camp. But right now, those are the guys I would bet on. Yeah, and Vonley, maybe finally this is the year where he can become remotely effective from downtown. We've been hearing about that since his days at Indiana. He was supposedly shooting the lights out in draft workouts. You know, he was one of these guys, and then has never really been able to translate that to the court. So, who uh, do you see as? Uh, Actually, let me steer it this way. 
Damon CJ both had great years last year. Any of the issues they they had, at least on offense, were not their fault. And you can only expect so much out of those guys. Defensively, they're 25 and 26 last year, respectively, both coming into their primes. Both shot it very well, though, last year, in particular, CJ, 42% from downtown. Do you think that they are going to continue to improve, or have we maybe seen the best from those guys already? I, I think Dame and CJ can both get better. And I think uh, for, for Dame still, the, 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 the the place where he can get better is on the defensive end. Uh, I, I think that he can still be better there if Nurkic being there can provide a little bit of help and an energy boost. Maybe he can be better, but I think he still needs to, to be better at that. Uh, I think CJ, uh, while undersized, is a really, I think is he's really smart uh, on the defensive end, and I think he understands when actions are going to come, and I think he's also good at getting around screens a lot yeah. i just think he's he a little... tries at least you got to give him that yeah and I, I think the effort is more there from cj and i think that you know I, I i think that lillard is amazing and i think he can definitely get better and you know i think he could even get better uh offensively uh and he's been getting the line way more which has been a big improvement and i think really helped him yeah. uh and i i think he he could still get better there uh and and he he puts up a bunch of threes and he makes them obviously you know you, you, maybe his in-between game but he's worked on that too he's not one of the things that i think he's really gotten better at is not taking as many falls he's really smart now about not like you know just going into the hoop and into the basket and and colliding because he used to do that a lot when he was a lot younger and I think CJ can get better. I, I, I think CJ is a guy that could easily get 50, 40, 90 uh, in his career. I, I, I think that's definitely in the cards. And he hasn't quite done that yet. And I, I, I think he, he, he can do that. I, I think he's that good. And uh, I, I think they can still get better. As you said, they're, they're still they're kind of they're entering their prime right now. Yeah, I was impressed with Dame's ability to finish around the rim, which uh, went from 55% to 60% last year. Took about the same percentage of his shots, but also got to the foul line more as well. Career high in free throw rate, 37% uh, compared to the field goal attempts that he took. And there was talk of how he worked in the off season. I talked to someone on their coaching staff who said, yeah, that was a real thing, that story that he worked with someone on the staff who's really big, just finishing drills around the rim. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of why he he was a lot better. Do you who do you see? I mean, is there anyone that you think of as a potential regression candidate on this team? A, a guy that I I think is is potentially a, a target for that is is Ed Davis. I, I I know that he is the most accomplished of all the big guys. Uh, but I, I want to see how that shoulder works out and, uh, his, his finishing just wasn't the same. Uh, you know, he, he, he didn't, I mean, his, that finish, the finishing that he had the year before at 61%. And I think, you know, he hasn't done that. He's done that twice. He shot over 60% twice, but in his, you know, nine year career, how long has he been in the league? Seven years. So, so he is, he's a candidate for me that he may not be as good as the Davis of 2015-16, which was fantastic, and he was probably the best big man on their team that year. All with all due respect to Plumley, uh, he was. Yeah, I was saying he should have played more in that Warriors series over Plumley because Plumley was just so lost trying to trying to finish at the rim. But yeah, I mean, hopefully he'll be able to come back because the guys who are rough and tumble around the rim, his offensive rebound rate has always been outstanding. You can see maybe guys shy away a little bit, but the good news is he was cleared for contact 
contact in June. So he should have plenty of time to get back to hopefully 100% by the time the season starts. Yeah, and then I have another guy too, uh, Nurkic. I, I think there's a potential there for a regression that he just may not be as good as he was at the in those 20 games last season. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. just his track record uh, it, it, with injuries and attitude and and all those things. You know, I, I really enjoyed that that, but I mean, he's definitely a candidate for regression for me. Yeah, it was interesting. Nurkic, his usage was pretty high, 26. percent They did get it to him in the post. A reasonable amount and i've never really liked him there that much except as like a real deep duck in guy he'll kind of just he knows he can't jump and so he'll try to just like quick shoot it before the defense gets over there but i do think he he is an offensively skilled player he has good feel with the ball he's not gonna just he's not like an unskilled type of guy who's kind of learning skills so i agree it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him but you have to imagine that it would be difficult for him to play better certainly even at the age that he is and and he far exceeded of course what he did in denver when by all accounts he he had checked out and i guess maybe the reason for hope maybe you could say mo harkless's three-point shooting 35 percent uh, he famously avoided shooting to uh, trigger a bonus clause uh, down the end of the year uh, but it didn't really have a, a ton of volume overall in total that 35 percent was compiled on 194 attempts so not really that many considering the number of minutes that he played he was fourth on the team in minutes and definitely did not look particularly interested in shooting during the playoffs when he wasn't getting guarded so that he could maybe take a step back as well there but there are plenty of guys you would think who are are likely to get better but nobody that I think is going to take a quantum leap from where they were last year either no and i i think there's one thing i think that on the flip side of nurkic in the positive category uh he has talked about shooting threes before and if he can do that uh you know that elevates him a little bit but uh that that would definitely help i think but yeah uh, that would be a major surprise to me if he if he does that but i mean he's been he's practiced them you know he, he 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 talks about them uh his stroke looks good in the mid-range but yeah no i i understand where the, where the skepticism comes from but i think you're you're right that most of the guys on the team i don't think are, are major candidates to to have like a breakout most improved i mean maybe nurkic but that's it you know a type of guy that can have you know a most improved player type of season a guy that goes from you know bench to you know a qu- really quality starter borderline all-star you know i i, I think uh it's going to be really hard for anybody on this team outside of you know damon cj to to get to that level i just don't see it right now uh and, and so yeah i agree with you I, I just think they have a lot of potential to grow incrementally but you know i think the hope has to be that everyone does that and then maybe you make up for it in that way by the way nurkic oh for six on three pointers in in his career not saying that you're like predicting he's gonna be awesome or something like that but uh definitely would be pretty much unprecedented for someone like that to really and i think they also just need him to roll to the basket too you know so yeah no yeah, that's, that's not wrong that's part of it too uh what about the guys who are out of the rotation last year i think like pat Connaughton, they moved 
his guarantee date back. I think it's coming up August 25th or something like that. I kind of expect him to get cut, frankly, uh, especially with their tax concerns. So that really leaves Jake Lehman as the only guy who we don't really have a great idea of what he is. How is his summer league? And do you think that he could get in there? I mean, if he could actually make shots, maybe we could see him at, he could him play. Or if there's an injury, now they don't have as much depth with crabs, so maybe he could get out there. I'm a little skeptical that he could be that good and he was only uh 26 percent on 51 attempts from three and actually i thought neil o'shea said something interesting sorry with this rambling question here but uh on one of the telecasts for the the blazer summer league he said hey jake's shooting is actually a little overrated right now you know go figure he's a, a white guy uh O'Shea didn't say that I'm, I'm adding that color but but uh but that his floor game is a little bit underrated as well but now that i'm done rambling do you think uh he might be able to play a little bit this year at, at age 23 i I think he is going to get a shot. Uh, I, I I kind of agree with you on on the Connaughton front um, with the luxury tax concerns. Of course, that's a big deal. And you know, he did get also. Hurt. By the way, I think yeah. he should get cut. I mean, he just has not shown anything in these two years and in summer league or playing at all to to make i think they're just better off using that spot on someone else like i'm pretty convinced that he can't play and there there are other people that we don't know that about yeah i mean his inability to really uh do much scoring the ball in summer league at this stage was was not great to see um and i i think layman definitely has a chance uh he's he's big that's one of the things and he's really athletic and uh if he can knock down shots that's going to be huge that would get him on the floor, I think, immediately because the Blazers need someone at those positions to be able to knock down shots. He's not uh, where he needs to be defensively yet, but he does have the size to be really good defensively. And I, the the thing about him is he's probably not a four. So even though he is pretty big, he's just he hasn't shown to be like a great rebounder. Uh, and I think that's what they need there. And so I think he could slide in at the three for sure. And then another guy that was outside of the rotation uh, I know we talked about Layman here but another guy that was outside the rotation that I think you know obviously has a shot because he's going to be on the roster is Myers Leonard I, I he can shoot the ball he's shown he can shoot the ball and if that becomes tough and the Blazers need to change things up in a game you know I think he has a chance to get back into the rotation if he can knock down shots and and one of the things that I think helps him out is that you know from expectations wise is last summer he didn't get to play any basketball was just rehabbing his shoulder all this stuff he's been doing the la thing he's been playing a lot more and you know if, if he can show something that's great but but you know he won't have any excuses this time around and i think he has a good chance to maybe get minutes because he's such a good shooter and obviously you know the blazers have invested a lot of money in him and probably be helpful for them whether they're going to keep him or trade him for him to play better yeah he really only works if he's making shots he's only 35 percent from three last year i think he's now two years removed from shooting 40 percent from three but i was there actually i think we recorded a locked on blazers beforehand at the his what i think was probably his best game of the season you can argue with me on, on that that's not true when dame put up 59 mm-hmm. against the jazz and, and stats i thought in a really nice move actually started myers this is when nurkic was out so that he could drag rudy gobert away from the rim and dame had this awesome game in part because of myers and myers hit a couple of shots early nothing 
wasn't too ridiculous, but enough that Rudy Gobert started like flying at him and, and he was able to space the floor a little bit. And so you saw what the conception could be if he actually starts to make shots. He also has to speed up his release. He's got like this glacial release as well. But if he can really get to be a solid shooting center, it's just he outside of that, he and maybe the occasional pass, he brings so little on either end. And he, again, another guy who just was terrible in that Warriors series and, and didn't even get a chance uh, or, or he got a chance and was just it was really ugly. Yeah, no, he I mean, he last year, his confidence was completely gone. Uh, that was just I mean, and also, you know, he, he got hurt again the year before and, you know, lost his starting spot to Vonley. And uh, I thought played well with Ed Davis during that year. But, you know, before before he got hurt. But anyway, I yeah, the, the thing with him is that he has to show it now and he has to prove it. And I think he's, you know, there's, he's run out of time here. I think he's obviously going to get another shot uh, just because, you know, with how expensive his contract is, I think it's hard to move that, especially when he's had such a down uh, downturn recently with his production. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you that he doesn't really bring a whole lot else when he's not making shots um, and he does need to quicken that release. But, you know, if he can make shots, you know, that's big for a backup center. But I think, you know, we talked about Swanigan earlier, you know, Swanigan's going to put the pressure on him. You know, it's not going to be like, you know, it, it's it's not that he, you know, is just going to be able to start again. You know, he he's going to be fighting for even, you know, the, that third backup big man role or that second backup big man role. You know, he, he he's going to be battling for any all those minutes because uh, it, it, it's up for grabs, I think. Who do you think will be in Stas's crunch time lineup this year? We know Dame will be out there. CJ will be impossible to imagine that Aminu won't be out there. They were so bad defensively when he was out and actually had quite the renaissance towards the end of the year, actually finishing 21st when they were like 30th for like the first, you know, third of the season or so. Uh, so I think that those three guys are given is Nurkic. You're going to pencil hit him in there as well. Yeah, I, I have Nurkic and, and Harkless in there. I think those are just, uh, you know... They, See, I think he's going to play Turner more than he's going to play Harkless. Unfortunately, I think Harkless is better than Turner. But Yeah, I, I, I think part of the concern there is obviously Harkless or Harkless nor Amino are really great at creating for themselves or others. And But I think Dame and CJ are so good at that. And I think Nurkic, as a screen setter, can get one of those guys uh, some daylight and, and and also make plays out of it that I think it's worth it. it is are you going to have spacing there? That's a question. But if you, you're not really going to have spacing there if you have Turner, so I I, I think you want to have Damon CJ out there with the ball in their hands down the stretch. And I think the best way to do that is to get some defense out there, and then that way also too you have you're your covered on the back end. Uh, you know that lineup with Plumley instead of Nurkic was really great. Uh, even though the Blazers struggled yeah. last year. Uh, and so if they can replicate that success with Nurkic that would be big uh and and then maybe you know that's their crunch time lineup and I I think that's what you you kind of have to hope for because you know Turner I think can play down the stretch and has played down the stretch before but I just think it's better uh to 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 get the ball in Damon CJ's hands so they actually down the stretch of last year didn't Aminu come off the bench and it was Harkless and Vonley starting at the three and four you think that's just they did that last year just for whatever reason and they're going to go away from that I mean I, I agree with you that Harkless and Aminu is by, by far their two best options there. Uh, yeah, starting is, is another question. Uh, the, one of the reasons I mentioned Von Ley as a guy that I think could be in the rotation uh, along with Ed Davis and Nurkic is that he played really well with Nurkic. And 
and he kind of came alive as a player really when Nurkic came along and I think you know it's it's partly that Nurkic is a more unselfish player I think and and was willing to pass to guys that maybe weren't going to get him an assist immediately uh like Plumlee did I, I felt like yeah. and uh <laughs> an unselfish player in uh in Portland I think uh De- Denver fans might have a little something different to say about that right but, yeah. but but I think another big, big reason is that they're pretty close close to the same age uh Vonley and Nurkic so they have a lot more in common I think than he did with Plumley. you know Plumley, more mature player been in the league bounced around like you know I I, I think that and, and was on a playoff team with like you know KG and all these guys and you know Nurkic and, and Vonley still have that kind of like youthful giggliness about them so I think that they connected on that level and it, it, I, I think that's another reason that he might play is that they just have some natural chemistry that I think can help there. All right, what are the big strengths of this team? Uh Damon CJ. Uh <laughs> that that is their biggest <laughs> that is their biggest strength. Uh th- those are their strengths. Damon C and Terry Stotts, I think. I think Terry Stotts is a really smart coach and I think, you know, those are the two those are the two big things. Those two guards and and the coach I think are uh pretty big things to lean on and and have, you know, helped to get them to the playoffs with uneven contributions from, you know, most other guys on the roster outside of those guys. So I I, I think those are their biggest strengths is Damon CJ Stotts because uh, I, I would say offense but I want to see that I don't I can't really say that yet because they didn't have that great of an offensive season last year and uh, overall and and I want to see them you know showed over a big sample size but Damon CJ and Terry Stotts I think are the biggest strengths yeah I do think that missing crab I was thinking of this because they love to run those flare screens right and for those uh, new mm-hmm. listeners basically what that is is a lot of times they'll start a guy say it will say for these purposes in the left corner loop him all the way around the court and then have someone at the opposite elbow set a screen for him to go into the corner it's basically like a a post pattern i talked about this a lot with lamar Hurd, the blazers color guy um on a podcast that we did back in january but basically it's like sending the guy into the corner like a post pattern in football or i'm sorry like a a corner pattern in football and then if it's a guy who can shoot that's a difficult action to defend because either the big's got to get out there and take away that jumper or he's he's going to be open and it's or the guy can just continue going curling around back door if his guy follows him over the screen but if that guy can't shoot then it becomes a lot more difficult and really the only guy who can run that now is either is cj maybe dame a little bit if cj is handling the ball so when you don't have crab especially on the second unit that takes away from some of those primary actions so in addition to the fact that they just are going to miss his spacing overall like those plays don't work with evan turner because they just go under the screen and and then you know you're just in fine position to catch up to him yeah the and i guess maybe that you know goes more to your point that we could see turner more at the two as, as a guy that is handling the ball and passing the ball to dame or cj instead of cj running the second unit which has been yeah. most of what we've seen which has been good for portland i mean it's good for cj yeah. and, it, and it was good for them so uh, it's not as if that you know that's just a good thing automatically but to create space and to to get movement and to have the defense respect you i think that's probably what they're going to have to do 
Yeah, and I think that obviously Damon CJ, the ability to shoot off the dribble. I mean, this is one of the best teams in the NBA, certainly at that. When you're in the late clock, either of those guys can go get you a bucket just in a normal pick and roll setting. I think they could throw out some lineups that would be pretty good on the offensive glass. When Nurkic was out there, they offensive rebounded almost 29% of their misses. That had been a strength the previous year. If Davis plays more, that'll help them with with that also this season. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, that's about it that I really see as like big strengths of this team, though. Uh, I mean, maybe you could say defensive versatility at forward if they're going to start Harkless and Aminu, the ability to switch a little bit can make up for maybe some of the difficulties. Even Dame is like an okay switch guy defensively. That's probably his his best attribute. Um, What do you see as the big weaknesses, though? Well, I I think just overall defensively and and, and at the point of attack with with Dame, I mean, I think that's that's tough. I think they've done a good job of hiding him at times and he, he has gotten better at those things and they've done a better job at switching. Like you said, that's one of the things he can do is guard guys on the post. Uh, he, he's pretty good at that and, and, and drawing that. But uh, I, I think that is a weakness though, is just the defense. And I think you just don't know overall, you know, where that's going to be though. You know, crab was not good defensively last year. So they should get better there if they're just, you know, replacing those minutes with Harkless and Aminu, but I must say also Turner is a better defender normally, but he wasn't great by any means either last year, and I thought was also really disappointing for a lot of the year, and kind of wavered with his effort at times. He was good in the playoffs, though, and I think, you know, but I think defense still is is, is a weakness for them, and I think shooting outside the two main guys oh, yeah. is, is just the biggest one for me, that you know, who's going to shoot, who's going to knock down that open three when the defense is collapsing on everything, and, uh, you know, is Nur or is you know? I, I just think they need that because you know Nurkic was really good, but I I just don't. You just can't survive. I don't think in today's game without yeah. having anybody on the wing that can shoot. Yeah, the bench units in particular, I think, could really struggle for shooting when either one of Dame or CJ is out. Maybe we'll see Shabazz Napier play more because he can handle the ball a little bit and he's very limited. He can't get to the rim at all, and and defensively he's too small. But he can at least make a shot. You know, he's probably the third best shooter on this team right now. Maybe he'll end up playing more with Dame or CJ just for that reason. And I think over uh, Lillard's career, and obviously that has also been un- throughout Terry Stotts' Blazers tenure, he- he's not been afraid to go to two-point guard looks with a, you know, uh, a backup guy like Shabazz Napier with Damian Lillard and, and-, and let Lillard get off the ball and-, and they just work actions for him and-, 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 and also have a guy that can shoot out there, like you said. And yeah, he can shoot and he- he's not going to get to the rim, but you know, he had some nice games last year when the Blazers were resting guys after they had clinched and he's 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 decent and and I think that you know that that definitely helps him to maybe get some perimeter playing time when they don't have anybody else who can really shoot the three reliably what do you think are the big questions that are going to determine success or or failure for this team are they going to get better on the defensive end uh, i i think is a big question i just think you know they need to be passable you know they, they if they can get to average defensively that would be major because i think they can be at least average on the offensive end they should end. be I better think, right they should they, they should, should be they should be they, they, they should be in the top five i i, I like yeah, i'm not crab in the top five defensively no 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 i'm talking about 
uh, oh. offensively. I, I, I think they could oh, have okay. a chance to be there. But uh, defensively, I think they should be better. Yeah, Crab, I, I, I think, was a liability for them with the effort that he brought. And I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think they do have a chance to be better. And I think that... Nurkic you know, is an upgrade yeah. on Pumley, yeah. too, I think. So, uh, although it all, it all depends on his effort level and his conditioning, of course. Uh, um, but, you know, I thought Plumley was a well below average defensive center. Nurkic at least has some heft in there, can take up space. Uh, so, yeah, I think league average would be pretty good. I mean, you're always going to be somewhat compromised. Uh, but, I mean, to me, they're getting rid of, other than Damon CJ, guys who were not great defenders and giving more playing time to guys who should be pretty good. I mean, if the rookies play, they're going to be awful, I'm sure. Uh, although Swanigan impressed me a little bit with his mobility, but, you know, a rookie big man is never going to be any good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge one to me. The big one that sticks out even more, though, I, I actually am worried about their offense without Crab and the question of whether Turner, Aminu, and Harkless are going to be able to make shots. And of those guys, I have the most hope for Harkless and then Aminu, and then I really have no hope for Turner, who shot 27% last year and, and just is not comfortable, especially when he's not in, in the corner. Uh, but that's going to be a big question to me because like Damon CJ could only take them so far, I think. And it's not like they have this overwhelming defensive talent outside of those two guys to where they can get the, the defense up much above league average because those two guys, of course, are liabilities on that end. Yeah, and I think another question that I, I think those are all correct. And I think another question that I have, you mentioned their offensive rebounding with Nurkic, but I want to see if that can continue because that was a really big factor in their success the previous season. They were third yeah. in the league in offensive rebound percentage and uh, they were passable on the defensive glass as well, which was was something th- that's another thing. And they, they were pretty good on the defensive glass by the end of last year. But the offensive rebound is really where they suffered. And that's, I, I think, a big thing when you have if you can just get more shots for Damon CJ and get the defense to suck in and get those second chance three pointers or have Ed Davis finishing or Nurkic finishing or, or Vonley finishing, you know, th- th- those are things that they really need, I think, for the health of the offense is that they, they need to get offensive rebounds because they're not a team that has a bunch of uh, elite shooters. You know, they have to be able to make up other possessions on the glass because, you know, for so far, you know, that's been the most successful formula for Damon CJ. And I think you're, you're going to need to see Harkless be better on the glass uh, and, and maybe Aminu be better at crashing as well. But uh, you, you really need Nurkic to be a disruptive force more than anything on the glass. And, and, and that, I think, is, is a big question, too. And you need to see the effort from him. Harkless is a surprisingly bad rebounder, only 11% defensive rebound rate, although Aminu, 24% is pretty fantastic. But yeah, I mean, the defensive rebounding could be an issue if, I mean, it's basically going to be Aminu and Nurkic have to do all of it on some of their baselines. Um, all right, you ready for a prediction here? I'm going to go first because I think I've been open to the criticism that I just picked two wins below whatever the guest pick. So I'm going to go first this time. Okay. There are 41 and 41 a year ago basically right at 500 in terms of their translated net rating as well with Nurkic but without crabbing they were pretty healthy last year Damon CJ again didn't really miss any time hardly at all uh Aminu they did miss time that was a big problem early in the year uh and so you know I think I'm gonna predict uh 43 wins for the Blazers team this year I think that's probably a little lower maybe than some are expecting but uh what's your take uh I I think they can get to 47 you know I I, I that's where I think they're gonna be I think they're gonna be a good 
would I, I think you know, Dame and CJ just being able to be better on offense than the, the guys that they're playing against most times and and outweigh those guys' production I think is just such a huge thing for them and I know that the questions on the offense are there but uh, I, I think if their guys are going to get enough open looks you know to, to get a chance and and uh, I I think that one of the one of those two guys whether it's Harkless or Aminu uh, will you know shoot above you know will shoot around you know 35 percent which is not great but I, I think will help and I think Nurkic just being there to suck guys in will open up lanes and I just think this the shots being open you know I know guys are bad shooters but if the shots are that open you know NBA players usually knock them down so I I think they're going to be in the playoffs I think they're going to be a team that's going to be over 500 uh and I think they're going to get get it with Nurkic I I I believe that Nurkic is going to be ready and healthy you know he's losing a bunch of weight the Olshay is talking about like targeting muscle imbalances in him that they found uh you know they're trying to do all the right things you know preventative wise to to keep him healthy so I I'm pretty high on the Blazers for the record last year you had 50 I had 46 and we were both way too yeah, way high off as way it, off yeah as it turned out I mean I think we were hoped that they could take a step forward defensively and that didn't happen for a large part of the year I mean I guess your question is is having Nurkic for what they hope will be a full season enough to counteract the fact that they basically just lost crab completely and didn't replace him at all you know is uh Nurkic that much of an upgrade on what Plumley gave them that losing crab is, is the end of it. and I, I'm predicting them to be two wins better than last year but I do think they were the seventh ranked offense last year that in itself was a little bit of a disappointment for me I think that the effect that Turner in particular has on his teammates when he doesn't have the ball in his hands is just so it just chokes the life out of the offense and he's going to be playing so much this year that I just it really worries me I mean I think they could take a step back and end up being you know something like the 10th best offense and then 15th best defense that's kind of the ceiling to me for this group maybe they could get a lot better but i i would be surprised by that they just have not shown any kind of a track record to defend like that uh recently and so you know i'm thinking they're going to be kind of like 10th in offense 20th in defense uh, you know maybe a little bit better than that and so that's how i I get to the 43 no i i I totally hear you and i think the skepticism is is warranted about their offense and and how reliably they're going to be able to score i do think though that uh you know the, the 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 things that Nurkic is able to open up even if he's not you know even if Crab isn't there you know what were, was there a lot of times even when Crab wasn't on the floor uh you, they just have to be able to make make it happen and and it would remains to be seen if, if they can but I I just think that Lillard and McCollum as I mentioned I think they do have another level to go so I think if they can get better you know that's really going to be the game changer for them is if they're better again and Nurkic is is solid then I think and and, and if Ed Davis can be good and and back to somewhere close to where he was you know they, they have something good there I think and and I I think they could be a really solid team but you know I'm not going to go yeah. beyond that yeah if they had traded i mean obviously this would have, probably wouldn't have been possible but just in theory if they still had crab and they had traded away turner i'd probably be picking like 46 or 47 wins i just think that turner is just that much of an offensive liability especially now in second units when he's not playing at the same time as crab because that's the other thing too like those guys played together a lot on those second units so you're able to mitigate the spacing issues that he provided now that they can't do that but we could also maybe see a trade where they bring in more of a traditional two guard type who can shoot a little bit i also think an interesting target for them 
and Ryan Anderson has been bandied about uh, potentially you know I don't know how exactly they would get him especially with their tax concerns but to have a, a traditional stretch four which have kind of gone out of vogue a little bit but I think if you wanted to play that guy with Aminu and start Aminu at the three have him play more as a wing defender than he has and just stretch the floor with like a real good shooting four you know maybe they would uh, could make a trade for like an Ursan Ilyasova type of guy at the deadline and I think even that guy could really help them a lot because it's the more I talk about that I, mean, I wasn't feeling it this way but the more I just think about their roster and the lineups that they're going to be throwing out there it just I, I'm very concerned about the lack of shooting that, that they might have even concerning the fact that with Damon CJ you have these two great guys shooting off the dribble uh well how about a uh, best case scenario I would say it's probably right about 50 wins for me that, yeah that's what I have something about like you know seventh or eighth best offense and like 15th best defense something along those lines so I think that's that's probably what I would go with what about you yeah I have 50 wins as well uh that's that's what I would think is the best case scenario I don't I don't think they're gonna be better than that uh it, yeah it, it, if everything clicks offensively if Aminu gets back to shooting the ball the way he did the previous season and Harkless can maintain his efficiency or maybe improve it a little bit you know th- those are things that you know maybe could happen that are not out of the realm of possibility I think we agree on Turner probably not ever going to be a, a great three-point shooter but I think part of this, the best case scenario with him is he can really work off the pick and roll with Nurkic at times he blends well with Damon CJ uh, he did have some success last year playing with those two guys they were at least a positive unit which was better than they could say for most of the season and you know if if giving Turner the ball more and giving his getting his usage rate up more helps the rest of the offense by you know just getting him those possessions in the second unit and there's a that if that happens which is you know pretty unlikely but if it does happen and he has a season like he had in Boston then I could see 50 wins uh, if he can provide that uh you know really solid play yeah it, it's just that's why i hated the sign and i hate to always go back to this but i i think that okay. his signing was was such a seminal moment i mean i don't want to say that this it was difficult to ever see this team getting into really even like conference finals contention with the resources that they had but with turner this idea always oh, going to handle the ball damon cj will work off the ball is just like yeah but then like damon cj are way better with the ball than he is yeah so it's like and if you just needed someone to dribble up top while they run off of screens like you could find someone someone to do that you can actually make a shot um and so it's just you're very hamstrung now with him just because he needs the ball in his hands or he's just going to kill your spacing on offense uh worst case scenario though i'll go first i think about 37 wins i could see them I don't see them ever falling out of the top half of the league completely. And, you know, we're not going to assume that someone misses major time injury wise, but just uh, people don't play that well. But I could see them being, you know, the 11th or 12th best offense and then uh, falling down into the 20s in defense and winning about 37 games. Yeah, I, I have them at forty. Uh, I I think you know below five hundred uh, is is something that they haven't. I mean, it's something they haven't done uh, with with other than Lillard's rookie year uh, lately. And so I think that you know that would be a pretty bad situation. I think in that situation, it's you know Turner is what he has been for them so far. Uh, da- you know, Dame and C- you know Dame kind of stays the same defensively. CJ kind of stays the same. You know, neither one of them really yeah. make that big you know. Big 
big leap or something like that. Yeah. Like, and those guys that, could both regress case. from three-point range very easily. I mean, Dame at 37% with the type of attempts he takes, the volume that he takes, like he could drop a couple of percentage points. CJ at 42%. I mean, I would, I've been saying this for two and a half years now, so I, I'm maybe I'll finally give up. But I think he could take a little bit of a step back with his shooting. I mean, I, I felt like even in the draft, like, hey, this guy just, he relies on mid-rangers. Like, how's he going to be efficient? And then it's like, oh yeah, he's just going to make, you know, 47% of his mid-rangers. And so that's how he's going to be efficient. And he just can do that. But still, 42% from three is a pretty crazy number, especially considering the type of attempts that that he takes. So, you know, I would expect that to drop at least slightly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that there, there's a good question there. I think he, I think he still, I think he still has a chance to, I think 50, 40, 90, that, that's really something that he can do. But yeah, in this worst case scenario, you know, he, he, he regresses a little bit. Dame, same thing. Uh, and then obviously I think uh, things that have a much bigger chance of happening are Aminu and Harkless can't make shots and uh, they're just not able to get the spacing and teams can really just, you know, clue in on Dame and CJ, never have to worry about a weak side three and uh, Nurkic just, you know, probably won't be efficient enough to carry the offense from the post is just probably not the best way to use him. And so, you know, if no one's spacing the court and then, you know, his threat in the middle of the floor isn't as big and et cetera, et cetera, the chain reaction, you know, it's, you know, that, that those are all things that could lead to the worst case scenario, I think. But, you know, having Damon CJ I think you're still going to be in a lot of games no I, I think so uh anything else that we wanted uh, that you wanted to hit on here that we didn't get a, a chance to yet or things that you've been thinking about as this season has uh, come up that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet uh yeah uh because I think there's there's actually we talked about Ryan Anderson uh you know I know that uh, Carmelo Anthony hasn't said that he uh, would go he would green light a trade to Portland and that's everyone says he's steadfast steadfast on Houston but the longer this goes doesn't it seem like it's going to be kind of hard for Houston to get a team to take on Ryan Anderson because it seems like that's the case right now. And I feel like Portland, yeah. if, if, if he were to waive it, I, I, I feel like, you know, if they get him, I, I, I would be, I'm interested to get your take on, you know, where you would see them if he helps them in your opinion, because I, I think he would be a major help because they need someone to hit shots. And I think that he would do that. Yeah, no, I think he, he would help them a lot. The question is, what can Portland send back that the Knicks are going to want, right? I mean, Carmelo still does contribute a little bit for the Knicks. They at least appear to be under the delusion that they can get assets back but it really seems like i mean the only trade that would make sense for me would be someone along the lines of ryan anderson or another bad contract going back for anthony just because you need to match the salary the guy makes 27 million dollars i don't know how the Blazers could do that in terms of guys who are good. Maybe Harkless could be someone that the Knicks might have some interest in going back. That's really the only guy I think that's good salary on this team outside of Damon CJ. Uh, maybe Ed Davis could could be a match as well. Uh, what were you we gonna say? Well, I mean, it's not uh, it, it, it's not an entire it's 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 not good money, but it's not as much money as Ryan Anderson is is, is Myers Leonard. I mean, he he does make ten million dollars a year. Yeah, you know that is a way to make the salary work, and if 
if the Knicks like right, Harkless. But then you got to throw yeah. in sweeteners. Uh, as I was getting to, I mean, if it's going to be bad salary, you got to throw in sweeteners. And what really does Portland have? I mean, I, I do think that with the age that Damon CJ are at, that it d- could make sense to try and improve this team, see where, I mean, they're not going to make a finals in the next two or three years, very likely, but at least you could maybe get in contention for a conference finals or some of these teams drop off a little bit or be making the second round uh, and enjoy it so if you want to give up maybe a, a first rounder or so but it, Carmelo is not good enough really to give up more than what projects as a late first rounder and even if you're going to give up that then you also have to give up some bad salary likely Myers Leonard or Turner has to be involved in that trade and so it just becomes very difficult on top of the fact that Carmelo seems to have little if any interest in actually coming to Portland at least at this point maybe he'll get so miserable in New York that that would change but I think it's more likely if he's feeling like hey you know what like this just sucks like I really want out of New York I think it's more likely just that he would agree to take a little bit less money in a buyout than he would be to say hey I'm gonna go to Portland now because he would want to choose his destination totally Uh, I think you you laid out all the concerns there i just think it, you know they that's been the one guy that's been connected to the blazers that's been you know that it, i think could could yeah, help them i mean, but, it, I mean it's, it, yeah that whole that whole thing i think that's all like olshay like bullshit pr like he he loves to like like he is very fastidious about the like really controlling the message uh-huh. you know for you've heard, no, yeah, you've heard a ton of stories about that i mean going back just to publicly the whole thing about how oh lamarcus like uh-huh. we're still in the mix for him like he yeah, didn't tell yeah, us no. that he was leaving you know when uh, <laughs> yeah you just traded nick batum like i'm pretty sure he's leaving uh yeah. so and that he, to me just was, seems like he was leaving yeah 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 i mean so that all to me just seems like olshay leaking that making it look like he's trying to do something making it look like the blazers could be involved they're being considered strum up some optimism in the fan base and and there's uh, both in terms of just Carmelo wanting to go there and the actual ability that they could make the Knicks happy with whatever the trade offer would be uh it's minimal to no possibility in my mind fair enough uh I do think Harkless is an enticing piece but yeah with everything else that you said definitely I I agree with it's just Ryan Anderson it just seems like he it's really hard to move him yeah no and uh be interesting to see like what this this team needs uh once things get started and they have had success uh, obviously making trades i mean that nurkic trade was and you imagine how screwed they'd be right now if they didn't have him right i mean we i think we'd be they'd be in real trouble especially i mean Plumlee would probably be in the same situation where he'd just kind of be sitting out there uh waiting for an offer but although maybe he if he plays all year in portland and he keeps racking up the county stats maybe he gets one last question before we go outside of damon cj which player are you most excited to watch on this Portland team this season? Hmm. That's a good question. I I, I think a guy that uh, is Harkless. I think he has the the most potential of the guys that are going to be on the wing to really make a difference. And I think he has it. He can get. I think he can get to another level on the defensive end. I think he can be better there, and I think he can still be better offensively. And I think he can be better as a rebounder. I mean, he has all of the physical tools to be really good at rebounding defense and 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 cutting and he's quick and athletic and uh i I think if he can knock down threes and 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 do all those other things and take his game up to another level which you know he's extremely young at this point i believe he's 
just 23. So uh, I, I, I think that's the guy that I'm the most excited to see because I think he has the, well, yeah, I, well, I guess I should have said Nurkic, but Harkless, I think. No, I, 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 to me, it's Harkless also. I, I like that because it just, he, he could just kind of flatline and still be the same guy that he's been, which is a reasonably valuable player, but maybe he could turn into like a real three and D type of player. And, and God, that would help this team for sure. Uh, by the way, he's, he's 24, turned 24 in May. Okay. But yeah, I mean, still very young, of course, when he came into the league and has plenty uh, as well. If he can take to, an auto Porter, if he can take an auto Porter leap, I mean, that would be insane for them. But you know, th- you know, yeah. that's like the best case scenario is if you can take a leap like auto Porter, and then you have a guy that can really be down the stretch and, and, and be great. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, tell everyone about your show before we get going here. Yeah, uh, definitely subscribe to Locked On Blazers. Uh, we're only doing twice a week right now because it's the off season. It's slow time, but we, we have some yeah, fun. So are we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we have some fun conversations, though. And then during the season, we, we turn up the volume on the podcast quite a bit. And uh, it, it's fun. I, I, I do it a lot by myself. So if I ramble, you know, that's why, because I usually talk to myself on the podcast. But uh <laughs> Doing a podcast by yourself is tough. I mean, I don't think I've ever talked for maybe more than about like five or six minutes at once by myself on this show. But uh, yeah, if there's like a big trade at the trade deadline, I'll have to come on and, and we can uh, break it down. Always fun going on your shows. Absolutely. Got to have you back. All right. Uh, thanks for having me, Nate. And obviously as, as a listener, uh, great to be on. So thanks, man. All right. Stay tuned. Brad Rowland coming up with uh, the Hawks preview right after this word. So before we move on, I want to give you this word from our longtime sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the better, simpler way to buy tickets to sporting events because they save you time and they save you money. Those are basically the two most precious commodities that I have in my life, at least in the abstract. Obviously, people are more important. But SeatGeek will save you that time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find you amazing deals. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites now. You used to have to check eight sites, whatever your tolerance was, until you're like, all right, I'm experiencing diminishing marginal returns. I'm going to stop doing this and just buy the one. Oh, which site was it that had the best one? Let me go back to that one. Did I leave that window open? SeatGeek brings them all in front of you so you can find a great price. And they also rank every ticket based on value. So now if you know generally where you want to sit, you can go to SeatGeek and find that area and then just pick the ticket that's ranked best in that area you just saved a ton of time because you don't have to compare all right this one is three seats to the left but it's three rows forward which one is better oh but this one's ten dollars more expensive SeatGeek has that all worked into their algorithm Everyone of their purchases is also fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket. It could be concerts, sports, comedy, theater, anything that has a ticket, check out SeatGeek for it. And it's also a great way to save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That could actually be a fair amount, considering the price of the ticket. You download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code CAPSPACE today, that CAPSPACE code. Of course, we use that for just about everything. Easy to remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time in the program. It's even on the back of our t-shirts now. That's promo code CAPSPACE. You get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get to the Atlanta Hawks, a team that has seen a ton of changes since last year, moving into a new phase for a franchise that I think had made the playoffs for 10 straight years. Joining us now is Brad Rowland from, uh, among other things, Locks on Lockdown Hawks, a daily Hawks podcast. How are you, Brad? I'm good, Nate. It's uh, n- nice to be here, man. I appreciate you asking me. Uh, always fun to talk some Hawks, even if it's a little bit of a uh, transition phase for the team right now. Yeah, it is. And that's what I wanted to talk about first was that this team has had 
had, in theory, some fits and starts over the last year and a half or so with letting Al Horford go. They did not offer him the absolute max that they could have uh, by all reports. And then uh, Paul Millsap, there's reports that he was going to be traded. They traded Cal Corver, which seemed to augur that they were going to be going into total rebuilding mode. They won a few games in a row. They decided not to trade Millsap and anyone else at the deadline. Then uh, owner Tony Ressler said Millsap would be a top priority. They decided then in perhaps a surprising move to have coach Mike Budenholzer step down as president of basketball operations. They brought in Travis Schlenk from Golden State, who has a reputation of being more of a, a truth teller, shall we say. And then they decided to really, it looks like, embrace the rebuilding process. So where I wanted to start with that is how did that process all happen where, you know, it went from Bud kind of being in control, we're playing for now, to Schlenk is coming in and we're uh, going more for the future. Yeah, it was actually fairly surprising, in my opinion, only because, I mean, I, I was actually uh, hoping that would happen for quite some time. I thought it was definitely time uh, to go in this direction based on what had happened and the choices they made uh, sort of last offseason. I did not like the Dwight Howard thing, for instance. That whole foray didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So I was a little bit surprised, though, that they actually went ahead and did the rebuild uh, in light of what you said there with uh, Tony Ressler coming out publicly and saying that he wanted to negotiate directly with Millsap and uh, sort of the avoidance of the trade deadline and not even really, uh, you know, sort of pulling Millsap off the, off the uh, block like, like they did in January. So uh, I think, I mean, at some point they either had to, uh, I guess, realize their uh, their ceiling uh, in the uh, near term based on the fact that, you know, this year they won 43 games, but uh, at the same time, they weren't even that good of a team. If you look at the net rating and sort of the uh, the metrics and things like that, they were actually probably even a sub 500 team or somewhere around a 500 yeah. team. Ne- negative um, 1.8 net rating a year ago. Yeah, not ideal. And uh, even it was actually even worse than they started nine and two and actually went in the tank after that. If you took that, that, that will stretch away at the beginning of the season. It gets even uglier. But um, yeah, it's it was a surprise to me, I guess. I mean, my working theory is that Travis Schlenk sort of blew everybody away in his uh, interview. That's a uh, that's definitely a theory, not a not, not a fact necessarily. But um, I was surprised even at the, at, at the time that they moved on from Budenholzer because I thought it was going to be a very delicate thing. Um, as I know you guys talk about all the time on the podcast, the coach GM combo is sort of a treacherous, treacherous thing. And uh, uh, that didn't really necessarily work out very well for Budenholzer, who I think is a very good coach, was not terribly impressed with what he did as an executive. And But you know, to navigate that and actually be able to keep him as a coach and not have him be the GM is uh, an interesting dynamic that I actually um, was kind of surprised they, they even tried to pull off, but they did it. And uh, with Schlenk, uh, you know, early on, it looks to be good. But yeah, it was sort of a surprise to me that actually happened, even if it was something that I wanted to happen for a long time. So it was framed as Bud voluntarily taking a step back. Do you think that was the case or was that just the spin? Uh, I think it, there might have been some truth in it. I mean, what I what I don't know and what the Hawks keep very close to the vest is sort of the, uh, the salary structure that Bud has had even before this. Um, I'm not really sure if he's keeping the same salary or not that he had in the dual role. That would be something that I would love to know that they are not um, very easy to give up at this point. Um, but yeah, I, my, I'm skeptical that it was a completely voluntary step back. I will say though that, you know, Bud clearly had, at least in my opinion, looked sort of worn down and sort of felt worn down near the end of the year. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a tough ask as we kind of all know to do both roles. And he did have Wes Wilcox to help him as the GM in title and Bud was the president. But at the same time, it sort of be, seemed to be sort of wearing on him. And uh, there was also some, some rumblings behind the scenes that the ownership group uh, was giving them a little bit of a, a nudge in the previous offseason that I'm not sure he loved. I mean, the Dwight Howard thing sort of had uh, sort of reeked of ownership um, being involved a little bit. And then, of course, the public comments about Millsap as well. I'm not sure Bud loved all of that. So it's all sort of speculation at this point in time. But uh, my guard is up with regard to the fact that I'm not 100% sure that 
he uh, voluntarily st- took, took a step back, but I don't, I don't know that to be the case either. Yeah, that is interesting about whether you have to imagine they're probably still paying him what he was making before. Uh, I would imagine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just just a guess, only because I, I don't think you keep him as the head coach if you don't uh, pay him what you was making before. But that's just that's just me putting things together. Yeah, no, that may be true. Although not like there are a lot of openings at head coach right now, and it does kind of have the feel though, especially with Schlank coming in with it seems clear that he values being part of a competitive team how much he's interested in presiding over a rebuild that i think could take a a while here and so this does if they have an unsuccessful season this year which i fully expect i mean and nobody really breaks out i think that we could maybe see him move on after next season do you know how many years he has left on his contract or is that still even like pretty clouded pretty clouded i've been trying to sort of uncover that even uh even ajc the local paper has been sort of trying to get on that from what i understand too and it's sort of it's pretty unclear i think the hawks do a very good job for better or worse supporting their uh, their cards close to the vest but yeah to what you're saying there it did not it would not blow me away at all um if things go the way that we th- that we both think that they're going to go this year if bud is not the head coach anymore just because i don't think he has much interest as we as he sort of displayed when he was the gm uh in presiding over a rebuild uh, they've kind of done everything that, that they possibly could have done to not rebuild uh, under his leadership and now that he's not in charge of going in that direction sort of immediately probably does not paint the most rosy picture of Budenholzer sticking around especially because um, I'm not saying this is a huge takeaway but Budenholzer was pretty absent um, at least publicly over the summer I mean he made a couple of appearances he was in Las Vegas but not a ton of public media things that you saw from blood not that he's overly willing to do that anyway but it was a lot of schlank and not a lot of Budenholzer and that was sort of a if not a, a huge takeaway something that I definitely observed that he was not super present yeah that, that's interesting I, I I think the thing I want to ask you as a Hawks observer, they've been in the playoffs since 07-08 straight, but only one conference finals appearance in which they were summarily dismissed by the Cavs in 2015. So this is, they had one year, that 2015 season, where they could have been deemed a championship contender during that run. But, you know, that doesn't mean nothing to be the four seed or the five seed every year or the or the eight seed a couple of years and make the playoffs. But I think there's kind of an idea that they had built things up a little bit in this market that this market is not very good for pro sports and that they couldn't really rebuild in this market what do you think of all that in the decision to finally do this uh and how much was that really forced upon them and how much did they just decide hey we can actually do this now and, and really rebuild yeah i mean i've definitely understood the argument of, for not rebuilding from a market standpoint something that uh, neither you or i was the first to was the first to say by any means it's a it's a market um for professional sports that's not always been robust and uh i think it actually probably made it a little bit easier for them that they did not draw a whole lot this year uh, i think the dwight howard experiment was at least uh, partially driven by the fact that he was a local guy um that could bring some interest and at the same time the hawks sort of went into the tank from an attendance standpoint this year they were bottom five in attendance after you know not that they were lighting the world on fire um last the previous couple of years but they were a lot better especially in that uh, in that season that you referenced when they won 60 games uh, you know naturally you're gonna sell more tickets when you win that much but um this last year sort of cratered attendance wise and that probably made it a little bit easier for them I do think that that was a, a part in it and not selling off uh, a little bit earlier than they actually did because I think you know the playoff streak is nice and you want to be as, as competitive as possible but uh, aside from that you know about a three-month stretch back in 2015 there really hasn't been that kind of buzz for this team even though even when they were winning you know the, the Joe Johnson team never really had a whole lot of interest uh, with it Al Horford for as much as uh, I appreciate his game was not the most you know divisive personality and that was uh, sort of a magnet- magnetizing kind of guy so they, don't, they never really had that guy uh, in a long long 
long time. Um, so I think that's part of it as well. But I do think uh, the market does matter, and I understand why they didn't want to do that. But for me, um, as an observer of the team, I just don't. I just didn't see them uh, having a clear path to even be um, even that you know high forties, low fifties win team for a long time now. Because I think if they were able to sort of stay in that range, they probably would have wrote it out a little bit longer. But when you win forty three games with a sub uh, with a suboptimal uh, net rating last season, I think that probably made it a little bit easier to make the call. Because if they had won forty eight games again, they probably would have just kept rolling it along, even though uh, you know very little upside there, as you said. But that sort of gave them a little bit of cover, in my opinion, to go ahead and start the rebuild. So let's summarize the changes for the Hawks. Millsap, of course, is out. Dwight Howard traded away for Marco Bellinelli and Miles Plumley. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha no longer in the fold either. Mike Muscala returning on a two-year, $10 million deal, second-year player option. Dwayne Dedman, two years, $12 million, second-year player option. He was, was brought in as well. Mike Dunleavy is gone. Ursan Ilyasova is back, one year, $6 million for him and uh jose calderon out the door as well and i think that's uh, and john collins drafted with the the number 19 pick and then they just recently signed luke babbitt anybody i'm missing there i guess brasino got claimed as well that's uh yes brasino and uh and second round pick tyler dorsey that's that's about yes. it for that yeah so how do you see these new additions fitting in i guess we, we can start with deadman is he project to be the starting center I think so. They haven't said that on the record because that would not be a very Hawks thing to do. But I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't the starting center. The other option, of course, would be Muscala. I can't imagine they would go with Plumlee. Yeah, that would be kind of terrifying if they did that. So uh, I think Deadman is uh, more than likely going to be a starting center. That seems to be why you would sign uh, him at this point in time. He's not that young. Uh, there is some upside there, of course. But I think that definitely would make some sense based on what they paid him and the investment they made and the player option they gave him. So Schroeder's going to start at the one. Who's going to be the starting two, you think? Uh, my guess right now, is that they would go with Bazemore and Prince on the wings together. Um, that is not, uh, I would, I'd, I'd be surprised if Bazemore didn't start. I, I'm not sure where he will start. You know, in the past, he sort of played small forward nominally, which is not really his strength considering his size. Um, they were, of course, going with Bazemore and Corver for a long time on the wing together. But Prince is, you know, arguably their best uh, on roster asset right now. Um, so I, I would be surprised if he didn't start as well. So I think those two guys playing together is the most likely outcome. They could, I guess, conceivably go with Marco Bellinelli I would not do that if I was them. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm expecting to see baseball and Prince together on the wing, and even though I wouldn't be absolutely blown away if they did something else. Yeah, you know, it's a, this is another one of these teams where if you go through some of the, I think this is now the fifth preview that I've done. And so many teams already say, wow, they don't have any actual normal small forwards who can guard other small forwards. And Prince is the only one on this team. He at least has the size and strength to do that, maybe based more can fit into that role but yeah you think that Bellinelli certainly at this point in his career in particular projects as a bench player Bembry I'm not sure if he's a good enough shooter I think he's got some defense but again he's he is not a player who has the size to really check wing scores on the other team who especially who have some strength so yeah I mean I think it's it's Prince to me I was setting him in basically in stone um what about he, the he certainly four? should be in stone yeah. I would say <laughs> yeah yeah what about at the four I mean I guess Luke Babbitt is 
nominally a three as well though i i didn't really understand that signing it seems like he and that's i want to say it's like eight hundred thousand gear or nine hundred thousand guaranteed out of his like two million or whatever it is uh but he uh he seems like more of a four they got collins they've got Ilyasova. maybe muscala could play a little bit of four as well you projecting Ilyasova to start yeah i can't imagine that it wouldn't be Ilyasova. i do think that they are treating babbitt as a power forward based on some comments uh, you know even even in the press release i think travis slank referred to babbitt as one of the best uh, shooting big men in the league which is sort of a dead giveaway that he's a power forward i think in their mind yeah um, but I- i'm sort of with you on that that i didn't really understand that aside from just having another guy who can space the floor because his team doesn't have a ton of shooting but yeah Ilyasova, i think almost has to be a starting power forward i mean if they were going harder into the tank they could go with collins but based on the signs that they, that, that they made here at the end of free agency and trying to be a little bit more respectable it looks like i think it's going to be Ilyasova at least for a while yeah and Ilyasova actually can block a trade this year because uh, he would lose bird rights if he gets moved uh which of course is uh, oh actually yeah no it's only a one-year deal so yeah he, right. he could block a trade and that's really a shame for us who really enjoy seeing him get traded like multiple times <laughs> every season I think, but i still uh, think he could I, I think he could still i mean i think if you look up and yeah. if you're or something like sova and you realize that your team might win 30 games and you know maybe i'm not i'm not saying he's gonna be willing to go to sacramento but if he gets dealt to somebody that's more you know maybe playoff bound i think he would uh, probably sign off on it that's just me guessing but uh, i think it might, yeah. might not be over yet for or being traded every year so what about collins i was very impressed with what he did in summer league explosive athlete jump shot looked okay looked he took i think a couple of threes and but looked comfortable taking them at least definitely doesn't project as really a great defender at either big position right now do you think he's going to play more at, at four or at five this season i think for this year i would expect him to, i expect to see him at power forward more often than center uh, you know i i kind of like collins in a in, in, in especially offensively the way that he especially in summer league flashed his ability as sort of a passer uh something i didn't really see in college and his rebounding is uh, was tremendous in college and his scoring around the rim was tremendous as well my defensive guard is up with him i thought he was you know pretty much an outright bad defender at the college level uh, i'm not saying that he definitely cannot improve in that way defensively because he's a good athlete he's not super long i think he's i think it's a 6 yeah. 11 wingspan for collins but um with with as, with as, as strong as he is as, as athletic as he is he definitely can play defense if he learns how to play defense but for me you know bud sort of has this reputation of not going super small a lot they did a little bit last year but you know guys like prince not playing power forward at all guys you know collins i think that's probably going to apply to him as well i'd be surprised if we saw him at center especially um in his rookie year I, i'm not sure that they're going to be able to lean on him and bud has sh- sort of a short leash defensively with guys and then might even might even be even shorter if you were to look at collins playing center as your primary rim protector because i'm not sure he can do that right now yeah and they've got three other established centers even plumley i mean he's he's i view him as kind of fringy but charlotte traded for him <laughs> yeah charlotte traded for him five months ago thinking he was going to be the solution to the fact that they didn't have a backup for cody zeller and he's uh, milwaukee paid him 12 million a year for uh four years less you know about a year ago so i mean it, it's you still view him as somewhat of an established player if even if you know i don't really think he's any good but uh, so they've got the and muscala deadman like those guys have been playing for a while I, I i guess i see collins as as more of a center i would certainly want to try to groom him in that mold just because i think that's where his offensive talents can really be unleashed yeah i totally agree i think ideally um his his absolute upside would be as a center i'm just not sure that bud particularly has the patience to deal with him defensively as a center right now i'd like to see that frankly i, I want to see collins play more than i think that more than i think he's going to play especially early on with the way that they construct this roster and the fact that bud's going to I think be trying to win games.
games. Um, I'm, I have this fear that Collins won't play as much as I would like to see him. Um, yeah, but yeah, too. when he's when, when he's out there though, I think he should be playing uh, more center than not, at least down the line. Maybe you know, getting 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 him on the floor this year is probably more important than what position, that, what position he's actually playing. But ideally, with it, with the way that he performs on really both ends, but especially even offensively, you know, the jumper sort of works. Uh, we saw a little bit of that in Las Vegas, but his his real strength is rebounding and and scoring around the rim. And I think in, in today's NBA, you're gonna need him to play center more often than not. Who's the best player on the team? Ooh, uh, I would at this moment, I think the answer is Dennis Schroeder. As as terrifying as that is, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't love, I don't love Schroeder. I think locally, people really like Dennis, and especially because he is young and he put up a bunch of counting stats last year with a big usage rate. I, I understand why people like him and think he's probably better than I think he is, and you know, and, and listening to your show better than I think you think he is. Um, but you know, if you look around the roster, I mean, your your other options would be, uh, I mean, Deadman maybe an option, Baysmore if he's if he bounced back to two years ago would be an option. There's not really that slam dunk guy, so I'll go with Schroeder reluctantly. Yeah, Schroeder did average 18 points and six assists last year for people who like that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you know his efficiency was a little bit lower than league average still has never really been a darling of the on off stats to be sure turns it over a fair amount and how much better do you think he can get i mean if we want to get into the players on this team who might be able to improve you know i would think of him certainly well towards the lower end of starting point guards in the league but do you think he can get to the point where he could be an asset for the team on what is a relative below market salary for a starting point guard in today's NBA. Yeah, I don't I don't see him suddenly becoming a top 10 point guard at any point in time, but as you referenced, I mean he's he's young enough now, he you know, he's he'll be, he'll be 24. Um, What's yes. keeping him from from getting there? I mean, he he cuz he is athletic, he's got some length and a lot of speed. Like what is it that you think just isn't going to work out for him to to get to that level? For me, I've never seen him finishing in the way that I would like that he's going to have to finish. I don't think he's ever going to be become a, uh, a top tier jump shooter we've seen some uh, some improvement there especially in the mid-range his three-point shooting was better last year you know 53 percent true shooting is not anything to write home about necessarily but you saw some some growth with his jump shot it's not the smoothest thing in the world though I think his form has gotten cleaner but at the same time there's a ceiling there with what we've seen from him as a shooter and if you're going to do that he's very fast and can really get to the rim off the dribble but you know his craft around the rim has never been great he's not very strong in finishing it's more of that you know that that speed scoop shot and stuff like that that you see from a shooter and I'm not sure that's enough to sustain uh, super efficient offense given that he's not the he's not the best passer in the world he can pass he can distribute a little bit and uh, in fairness to him he's been asked to do too much at least at least at least last season in terms of not having really anything in the way of secondary creation you know their secondary creator last year was was Paul Millsap who's now gone I think it might even be worse this year if you look if you look at your wings and they're and they're Torian Prince and Kent Bazemore I like both of those guys in their certain ways but neither one of those guys is going to be able to go out and get you uh, you know isolation points to be able to create for others so it's gonna be a lot of shooter that probably holds him back a little bit because he's being overused uh, as a as a pick and roll guy and as a as it's just kind of the engine for everything but I don't know I, he either has to get better as a finisher or he has to get better as a shooter um, preferably both I think to even be in, in the mix to be even become like a league average starter because I'm not sure he's there yet he's somewhere in the you know 20 25 range among starting point guards which is you know for the money he's being paid it's not an awful contract by any means he's still young and I think the one on the bright side for him you saw in the playoffs
playoffs when he's locked in defensively he actually can play defense uh, I thought one of the things that I was disappointed with him last year was defensively um, his effort really waned and part of that I'm sure is the fact that he's being asked to do so much offensively but if he can become the defender sort of the pest uh, athletic force with the long arms that he was um, in a bench role um, more often that would help quite a bit as well I'm skeptical of that but uh, you know over 82 games we haven't seen that and hopefully he'll be able to put that together but the ceiling is not quite as high as people want people locally want to make it just because I think he has to sort of max out on both ends to even become like a league average starter where is Prince you mentioned him as, as the best asset on the team I think I, I agree I had an encouraging rookie year was starting by the end had a few moments in the playoffs he is I at least really like the concept of him as someone who can maybe guard four positions and has enough strength and length to guard some of the best small forwards, the best wing ISO scores in the league. But where is he right now? The concept is good. Like what is, where is he in terms of actually being able to fulfill that potential? Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm glad you said that because I think people, um, at least locally, again, have started to treat Prince like he's sort of a finished product already, and he's not there. Uh, we saw him in the playoffs. He saw him play well, especially when compared to rookies um, becoming a starter in the playoffs on a team that basically really needed him. And we talked about earlier that um, he's the one guy on this team that has uh, enough size and strength and physicality to really guard big threes. That's something the Hawks haven't had, even when they were really good. Yeah, a couple of how years has ago. he done in that role though? When he's actually had to match up against, we didn't, I didn't see it in the playoffs because Washington didn't really didn't really have someone like that but in the regular season last year if he was trying to guard LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony or Giannis did he get much opportunity to do that and how did it look yeah, I mean, there's, there wasn't a ton of that only because uh, he didn't play a whole lot in the first half of the year. But I mean, there was a few opportunities. I think it's sort of a mixed bag that you might expect, you know, being a rookie. You know, he's an older rookie. Uh, at least he was an older rookie last year. He'll be 20. He's 23. He's not super young. But, you know, when, when he when he was matched up against LeBron a few times in those uh, couple of entertaining regular season games against the Cavs this year, actually, um, he did a decent job on him. There was moments where he looked like a rookie, um, just sort of being out of position. The fact that he played almost exclusively that sort of junk zone at Baylor was not great for him. I don't think think uh, development wise but you know when, when he's just locked in on guarding one guy like that it's almost better for him I think he actually looks worse yeah. when he's um, just playing a sort of a normal run-of-the-mill guy and being asked to more yeah. play within I think scheme. that's the case for a lot of a lot of young players for sure especially somebody as, as big as physical and athletic as he is because if he's just you know, sort of guarding one guy of course like nobody's going to slow down LeBron and Giannis necessarily but he looks better in that role I, I do think you know talking to the coaching staff they've been encouraged with the way that he's sort of taken a step defensively they all acknowledge the problems that took place with um, him playing so much zone and sort of having to learn how to play man-to-man defense at a high level but we saw that improve and uh, you know similarly you don't really care about defense because you're only you know the guys you're guarding that really you're not really trying to learn a whole lot about defense in Las Vegas but saw a couple times when he's matched up against guys who are NBA players that he looked pretty good there as well so I'm not sure he's going to be there yet in, in his second year but he's definitely their only option and he's a guy who I think I'm less worried about the uh, defense than I am about the offense just because uh, as a shooter he's not really proven a whole lot he's a reasonable he's not a, he's not a non-shooter by any means but not a guy who's not who's a knockdown player there and we've seen a little bit of creation from him offensively but never been a guy who you can just throw the ball to and say go get a bucket even though we saw a little bit of that in Las Vegas so that two-way um that two-way player that everybody wants on the wing is something he could be I'm just not convinced he's going to be uh super super elite on either end of the floor I would say if he just becomes an average an average offensive player I'd be encouraged by that based on his defensive tools and what I think he's gonna be able to do on the end of the floor yeah 32 percent from downtown last year on 102 attempts and I think his shots 
that's a little hitchy he's definitely not a natural yes. shooter not really a natural dribbler either although they tried to give him the chance to spread his wings a little bit in summer league the last two years and i thought he looked much better handling the ball this year than he did last year so i think he's taken some steps forward this is a team that's of course had great success developing players particularly wings so he's in the right place and even if you can get a guy who's average on both ends if he could even become that or maybe if it's more above average on defense and slightly below average on offense but at least can you got to guard him at the three-point line that's a win especially with the number 12 pick and an average small forward on both ends I mean there's probably 15 of those guys in the whole league at this point yeah I think I think he can be a starter um, based on that just being average on both ends and uh, it's a small sample size thing but he shot 36 percent from three after the all-star break last year on like 60 attempts it's again very small but there was there was progression there with his jumper and the fact that he's gotten a little bit better on the ball I'm not expecting him to ever be like a breakout offensive guy but if you can just kind of the idea of him that you were talking about at the beginning is one of those things where I I can see it on both ends and uh and that's not the greatest thing to have as as your best asset on the roster which is sort of the problem the Hawks have right now but it's in a vacuum I think he can be a starter that's a valuable piece yeah on the roster is the key there because clearly they're future draft picks (laughs) and and they also have some of these lower end picks as well they got that Minnesota pick they've got one from Cleveland they've got that Houston pick from the the Crawford trade taking on his dead money as well and I guess there's not really anyone who's a huge regression candidate on this team maybe maybe someone like Muscala Muscala or Ilyasova if he shoots a little bit worse he's older but those guys aren't necessarily going to be the the foci of the team uh anybody else that you're really that this is actually a good question let's look at it from this perspective who who is on the roster right now would you expect to be in the rotation the next time the hawks make the playoffs Ooh, that's a good one um i think prince for sure um I would say Collins. That seems like an obvious one, even though, you know, he's a rookie. We won't know for a while, but based on what he's seen, I'm not sure he's going to be a starter, but I think he'll be in the rotation at least. Um, that would probably be the list of my super likely guys. I think Schroeder is the obvious other candidate because um, of what he, the fact that he's already around and we kind of established the baseline. I do think though that if he performed well, he could be a guy that is, gets that gets moved and something like that. I'm not sure they're in love with him. I'm not sure how Schlank feels about him to be completely honest. He was definitely Bud's guy. I'm not sure that's going to stick around, but those three would be the most likely candidates and the other the other guy i would include would be bembry i do like him although i'm not convinced he's going to be a rotation guy necessarily i i would guess that he is but more in that bench you know seventh eighth man role kind of thing whereas people i mean if you could take a guy in the first round you'd love him to be love him to become a starter i don't really see that necessarily with him even though i love his basketball iq and the way that he feels the game and passes and um you know even defends but it's more of a one two defender than a two three defender at this point based on his uh, slight frame so um those are the obvious candidates and the other one would be Muscala as a, again sort of a low end rotation guy sort of third third or fourth big type yeah. that can play both spots I do like Muscala he's still young enough and he's one of those you know Hawks University success stories being a second round pick that they developed uh, out of Bucknell so they like him a lot you know I, I was kind of surprised that he signed for as little money as he did I thought he actually would get a little bit more than he got which is that's a bargain even though they gave yeah, him the player too. option I, th- I think he's an underrated player yeah they, they gave him the player option was, which, I, which I assume is sort of the trade off there for him taking a little bit less money but um, yeah th- those would be the obvious candidates none of those guys are like 
like dead bang locks. I think Prince is definitely the most likely guy to be in the rotation. Prince and Collins would be those two. Um, and Schroeder, if they don't move on from him, would at least be uh, in the mix. But you know, if you had said uh, if you had said well, the next time the Hawks make uh, have home court in the East, I probably would have changed my answer a little bit. But a playoff team, I think they can be a playoff team with Dennis Schroeder at point guard, which they've kind of already been already. So there's that. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's actually if you really think about, it, I was saying this about the Bulls too that they got a long way to go if you think yeah. about it, especially if if what we think about Schroeder's ceiling is kind of true that he's probably going to top out as a below average starter maybe Prince if things go well could get into being an above average starter but doesn't have the ceiling as a guy who can create I mean they just they don't have anybody on this team I mean this this offense I mean I don't think it's only gonna be bad this year it looks like it's gonna be really bad for quite some time and they don't have a ton of guys who are amazing defensive players maybe the defense could be a little better than we think this year but you know maybe not an elite level so I, I think it could I mean if you look at it as all right, they get, you know, top three, top four pick. That guy turns out to be as good as you want. They get some other role players with all with these other picks. They get another pick in 2019. And then maybe two, three years before those guys become good enough to make the playoffs again. That's kind of how I, I see it at this point, unless they really decide to try to sign guys in free agency who are going to push them into there. But I don't think that that sort of player is going to come to Atlanta. And the most cast rates are going to have would be about 30 million. And that's if Deadman and Muscala opt out so I think it it could be a long time here and that's why the decision to not move on from Millsap when they did I mean that's something that I think could cost them another year or two of non-playoff contention yeah I think it almost certainly will only because I mean you would have had assets from that as well as the fact that they probably would have missed the playoffs last year even if they had moved on from Millsap in at the deadline as late as possible they would have missed the playoffs almost certainly um, and would have had a lottery pick and you know people people like Collins I like Collins quite a bit I still think if you were you you would have been better off um, even if you love Collins getting into that you know eight to ten range in the uh, lottery which is probably where they would have been had they moved on from Millsap you would have been uh, better off with somebody in that range even somebody in the 10 to 12 range and have a chance at Donovan Mitchell or somebody like that so I mean even if Collins pops and, and they, they like him a lot they had him very high I knew that even coming into the draft they were very high on Collins they were thrilled that he fell to them I was surprised he fell to them but at the same time he isn't the same kind of you know, prospect necessarily that they, that they could have gotten as well as whatever they got for Millsap so yeah I, I'm, in, I'm in line with that I thought it was definitely a mistake when it happened it looked even worse when I think the reality was always going to be a first round exit. I'm not sure how they didn't see that. Uh, maybe, maybe they did and just kind of ignored it. But um, from the time that they didn't move on from Millsap, um, to, I mean, the reality was probably always going to be a very, very likely first round loss. And I'm not sure that's, I mean, okay, I am sure it's not worth it. I almost said it's not true. I'm not sure. Uh, I am sure that was not worth what the price that they actually had to give up to in terms of what they, what they would have gotten back from Millsap. Well, especially because, I mean, I understand it if they just had him in trade discussions and all right, we just didn't get any kind of an offer that's going to move the needle you know all we got was like a like the number 25 overall pick was like the best offer all right then fine hold on to him make the playoffs whatever like that's not going to change your destiny as a franchise maybe but uh, you know to just not even explore that as it seemed to be the case down the end of the season you know that that was another great but I mean even if they had traded him it was going to be a while and I mean this team was in the playoffs for 10 straight years you know they didn't reach like a, a high upside but you can only do that really for so long unless 
unless you're really one of the big outliers in NBA history like San Antonio or something so uh now it's going to be more difficult um I think we talked mostly about what uh, these playing time issues uh, are, are going to be what are this team's strengths and I I, I don't want to chuckle at that too much <laughs> I, I think it, it could be difficult but surely we can come up with some yeah I, I do think they'll be better defensively than I think you said this a minute ago but then people actually will think that they would be I think Budenholzer has always kind of gotten more out of his defenses than um, what the talent would provide um, the asterisk there would be the fact that Paul Millsap is gone and he's one of the 10 best defensive players in the planet um, so losing Millsap I mean the the loss of that is going to be big how big yeah. is up for they debate? did hold it together during that period when he was out though last year yeah defensively I mean <laughs> offensively yeah. is a whole other yeah, story defensively. But, yeah. yeah yeah I mean they, they did some, I mean Ilyasov is not a not a great defender but he's he's fine Deadman as a good defender from um from what we've seen so far in the limited time i think we'll be playing a little yeah. bit more but i mean they the, don't have anyone who's like terrible except for maybe bellinelli is the only guy you would look at is like or babbitt like those are the yeah, only two, and collins will be bad too but like you know that i don't know that those guys are necessarily going to play that much but among maybe their top seven or eight guys i don't think they really have anyone where it's like all right this guy is just a massive liability yeah that, that definitely helps and i think that's something that they're going to have to bank on to win more games if they want to win more games is that you know as you said no those guys are bad i think um the, the worst guys in the rotation defensively will be off the bench which is you know you can hide them especially against the second units and survive that way the, the one the uh the anti-argument for that would be the fact that they don't really have a great defender either they've had bill sap for this whole time they had horford before that who's never been dominant but was always definitely an above average defender uh, i mean the best defender on this team i guess is Dwayne deadman at this moment because if yeah, you look I at the, think deadman is pretty close to being like he is good. a very good uh defensive center yeah maybe not great but i, I think he's he, he can move his feet he's definitely a problem for guys at the rim so and he, he was he was the spurs were fantastic when he was whenever he was on the floor last year for sure and i think he will be the best defender on the team but i mean i just don't think it can be overstated how much the uh sort of the malleability and the versatility of Millsap not having that around um defense sure. is going to hurt them in a big way i think they will be above average defensively which is a weird thing to say based on the talent level but with bud and uh not having any hole I can see them finishing, you know, 12th in defense. That wouldn't blow me away at all. Um, I, I don't think you get in the top five like they have been the last few years without Paul Millsap on the roster. But, you know, they could be good. They could be a pretty good defensive team. Uh, the offense is not going to be good, as we were, as what I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but the defense is probably going to be the strength for me um, because I don't really see a whole lot of, like, definitive strengths beyond that, aside from just having a bunch of guys who are semi-competent. Yeah, maybe rebounding could be something. Ilyasova is, is a quality rebounder. Collins, when he's in there, the they're probably gonna yeah, play with play two Collins, traditional if, bigs if they if, if they play Collins uh more than I mean as much as I hope they will that could certainly be a, a positive thing Muscal is not a great rebounder he's fine Ilyasova's fine Demick can rebound so yeah they, they could be above average. I mean especially if Prince rebounds the way that he probably can as a small forward I'm not sure we've seen that yet but the, his physical with, with his physical tools that could be an above average area it's kind of weird to talk about since the Hawks were always so bad rebounding for so long um sure. they were they were better last year and a lot of that was Dwight Howard but um they definitely have the pieces to do that especially if Collins plays more Okay, what about weaknesses? <laughs> uh, ooh, this could be a long list. Um, I mean, general offense, obviously, but I think the fact that they only have we can go one by one. The only they only have one creator. Um, in terms of offensive creator, and that's that being Schroeder. Um, even the backup point guard Malcolm Delaney, who I still kind of believe in. I think he just shot. Like, I think his shot just kind of fell apart last year. I still yeah, kind of believe. I, in I've him always as, liked him. They played well when he was on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he does what he's supposed to do. He's professional. Yeah. He just didn't shoot the ball well. Like, and that's, that's sort of an understatement. I think he, he shot the ball pretty much well everywhere. He's 
he's ever been, including Europe and college. And he kind of just fell apart last year. But um, if he's your second yeah. best creator, it's not a great situation. And I think he might be on the whole roster because if you look at the wings. Yeah, and he can't get to the rim at all. I mean, he he, no. he can like create an open two-point jumper. And I think even though, as you said, he struggled, I think he can, that's a, a strength for him. He can make that shot at a decent rate. Yeah, if you look at the wings, though, it's the same problem they've had for a long time, except now it's exacerbated without Millsap around to sort of be a secondary guy. But, you know, Bazemore, not really a creator. Prince, not really a creator. Bellinelli's a shooter. Um, you know, Ben Brief, I guess, could sort of fake that, but I'm not sure how much he's going to play. And he's still very, uh, he's probably a little, probably a year or two away from being a, a, a legitimately entrenched rotation player. They don't really, they should only have that secondary option. And because they don't have that guy and they don't have a ton of shooting either, it's sort of a, a really ugly recipe offensively because I mean they, they signed some I mean they signed Babbitt to be a bench shooter they have Ilyasova who can sort of shoot they don't have complete non-shooters anymore like they did with Cephalosha and some of these guys but you know their best shooters are Ilyasova and Babbitt and if your best shooters are not your wings that's not going to be ideal either yeah I don't see a way for them to stay out of the bottom five defensively I mean maybe Chicago Indiana probably in that mix as well uh maybe Orlando but uh, you know I expect them to just be a little bit better than They've got more talent than this Hawks team does. Um, I think passing I think, I think is they're... also a major problem. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually I was about to say that. I think they don't really have a ton of passing, but if you're looking for the bright side, which I'm sure Hawks fans will be, um, they could have a little bit more spacing than they had a year ago, just in general without Dwight Howard as a completely ground bound, uh, you know, within the, within the five feet of the rim kind of guy that they have yeah. not well, had. I think actually played. Deadman is going to be worse though. Oof, uh, I guess he could be. I mean, I, I, I think he's going to play less than Howard for one. Um, yeah. For better or worse, <laughs> just because I think Deadman's never had that kind of role where he's playing 30 minutes a game like Dwight was last year. But yeah, it's, it's probably a good point that they don't really have, they don't have good passing really either. They have, they have some guys who it's not that they're unwilling i mean a couple of these guys are unwilling necessarily but um it, it's, they don't really have that beautiful game style anymore that they did in their heyday for sure yeah and there's also of course the possibility of a trade of of guys like muscala uh deadman as well so that's a possibility um trying to think if there's anything else that, that comes to mind here it's a reasonably athletic team at least um and, and i do think what you're saying about the spacing is important because Schroeder, you mentioned he can get to the room he can create shots there he's fast it's just his lack of craft there he's got to just kind of beat everyone there and so if that that big has a further distance to go then it's actually going to be good for him so i think we may see if you had to guess who do you think is going to close games it'd be deadman or muscala Ooh, um I, this is weird. I think Deadman's a better player, but I think I would close with Mescal just because I think if you have Deadman on the floor offensively with all of their other limitations already, um, it always, it's obviously matchup dependent. If you have a guy who's going to kill you, if Deadman's not on the floor, then that's important as well. But offensively, they're going to be at their best when they're playing Mescal at center, I think, all season for the most part, just because he provides some spacing. He can kind of move and he can obviously shoot from the perimeter in a way that Deadman can't. You know, Deadman could be a pick and roll guy that is helpful for Schroeder, um, but ideally, I think offensively, especially, they'll be better with Mescal at center um, or if even even with Collins if Collins gets there I'm not sure he will I'm not sure he's gonna be closing games for sure but if they start especially in the second half of the year if they start leaning a little bit more on the young guys and you can see Collins but uh, your guess is as good as mine in terms of who actually will I, I do think Muscala though offensively would provide a little bit more space that, that they're definitely gonna need yeah I think that Ilyasova and Deadman are a work. reasonable partnership yeah. uh, and then Collins and Muscala kind of fits better together as well or maybe Collins and Ilyasova if you want to try out Collins at center but uh, 
as we discussed. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think because Muscala can space the floor, let Collins get to the basket, and then Ilyasova can do the same for Deadman. And then I don't really think Muscala and Ilyasova can play together that much no. just because they'd be so ground-bound and unathletic defensively that I don't think that that could really work that well either. So I, I would expect at least that the most logical combinations would be uh, the two I just described. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I, do, I do think Muscala is better at center, but we could also see him play some power forward, not necessarily in closing lineups, but but for oh, yeah, whatever. No, that's, that, that is, that's always been awful. I remember railing about it. that on a 15 and 60 once last year. And I'm, I'm actually with you 100% as someone who talks about every game after the game. Yeah, it's something I rail on as well, but for whatever reason, they, they continue to think that Muscala is a power forward, and he's not. He's a center, and he's a quality. I guess he can sort of fake power forward, but he is a center at this point, especially in the modern NBA. But I wouldn't blow me away if you saw some Muscala power forward, so I guess we should prepare for that. All right, so let's uh, let's get to it here. Uh, official predicted record. I'm going to go first. I, I've made the decision, which I screwed up actually when I just had Blake Murphy on, but I'm going to go first so I can't be accused of just going two wins below whatever the, the guest <laughs> says. Uh, so I'm going to peg these guys for 25 wins. I think they'll be uh, maybe around league average in defense, maybe fall off towards the end, especially if they trade some guys away or start playing the young guys and taking. And then I do think, you know, this is looking like 27, 28, 29 level of offense. So that looks like about 20. Actually, you know, what? I'll call it 24 wins. That'll be my prediction. Uh, I, I am going to say 26 and 56 um, to keep in the, the long tradition of being higher than you. <laughs> Uh, but it's actually funny because the big knock on me is that I'm too negative on the Hawks. That's what I always hear about um, on my podcast and in my writing is I'm too negative. Yeah. So, it's, well, it'll, so, it'll be, so have you nice. been right? Are you right more often or are you wrong more often about that? Uh, I was I was very right last year uh, about the whole the whole sort of catastrophe with Howard and all those things. I was very right about that. Um, so I'm one for one in terms of last year. But, uh, you know, I'm usually it's actually funny. The one year I was high on them was the year they were good. So maybe I, maybe I'm pretty good at this. But no, this is the. Your your record would not surprise me at all. I will say that I think it's. Um, I actually would, would actually hope you're right to be honest with you, based on the fact that I've long said that I'd rather the Hawks win 14 than 34. That's been my sort of uh, party line for this year. Um, but I think with Bud and for me, they'll probably hold on to guys longer than I would, and sort of try the, the, the signs that they made with Deadman and Eliasova and Miscala were sort of geared toward being respectable-ish this year. Um, and if they if they move on from these guys at the deadline, then th- then they're going to get worse, and that will be closer probably where you are but i'll say 26 and just call it even but any anywhere between i don't know anywhere between low 20s and 30 would not blow me away at all yeah well so that's what i wanted to get to let's say everything goes right what's the best case scenario for these guys um ooh, i mean the east is so bad i mean there's there's been sort of this movement locally that they can make the playoffs i don't see that at all um i would say best well, reason I, I don't know man i mean i like it wouldn't surprise like kevin pelton has the eighth team in the east at 35, 35 wins right now yeah. but but i I'm uh I also see almost no possible way they could get to 35. I mean like I just this offense just can't be better than 25th, right? Like is it, like I just don't see a way and I'm probably guilty in best case worst case of just not really accounting for variability quite enough. I think we all are, but I, I if you're going to have a, an offense that's 25th or worse to make the playoffs, you got to have a top 10 defense and that would be very surprising to me as well. Yeah, I, I think I'm I was going to say best reasonable case would be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 32 wins for me and that's with the defense being like top eight um so sort of i think we're 
sort of align here in that I think the defense is going to be better, much better than the offense, but I just don't see them being good enough to outweigh a top, a sort of a, a bottom five offense. So yeah, if everything came together with Budenholzer's had a lot of success with team, like his first year, they lost Al Horford and they were far better than their talent level. There's been some track record of him sort of overachieving based on uh, with his system and things versus the talent level. But even if you build all that in, I don't really see them going above, you know, 32, 33 wins if, and that's if everything goes right. Yeah, I, I think the worst case for me, or the best case for me would be 29. Uh, worst case for me, I'd probably say 20 wins, 20 and 62. Yeah, I mean, if they, I'll say this, if, if they lost Schroeder for any period of time, um, not even not even the whole season, but if they lost Schroeder for 20 games with their current roster, I don't know what they would do offensively. I mean, it yeah. would be, I mean, and not, if not, they not that he's in great to, shakes, but, yeah. you know. If they actually wanted to be better this year, just trying to sign whoever like the next Jordan Crawford type of player is out of China or wherever, just to like someone who can create shots. I don't have my free agent list in front of me, but just like someone, even if it's totally inefficient, who can just jack some shots up, you know, probably like an undersized guy, but they need that player right now. He That would actually help them because, uh, yeah, when Schroeder goes out of the game, I mean, it's just going to be a, a disaster. For and sure. Amazing to say, although, of course... The, again this year they'll probably just like play better with him off the uh, off the floor and we'll be like man like how does this <laughs> happen to him every year yeah i mean if the, if delaney shoots the ball well that could happen for sure but no i i do think you know barring major injury worst case i mean if they won 18 it wouldn't blow me away i mean i'd be i'd be surprised yeah. because just having budenholzer does help i think i mean I, i'm not sure how much you can really quantify having a having a good coach even i guess and we all know it's a bad roster but he's a solidly above average coach i think um not 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 an elite coach I don't think either but I think he's a, a very solid coach and having that guy does matter but I don't know without major injury I can't say I'm getting below 20 but I, I don't know 18 would be uh that's probably in the range of outcomes I would say yeah all right man. well anything else that we haven't touched on that you've been kind of concentrating on in this getting ready for this hawk season that you think is interesting I don't think so I mean it's going to be very interesting just to cover a cover and watch a team uh, after a decade that um it's been a long time I mean the Hawks were the Hawks were bad for a long time and then they were you know solid for a long time now they're bad again so it's gonna be interesting sort of adjusting my uh my game watching but aside from that no i think we pretty much covered it which player are you most excited to watch on the hawks this year Ooh, i mean it's probably it's probably collins only because of the at least dunk on people yeah it's the highlight stuff i'm not i'm not overly sold on him in terms of uh the, the complete game the defense stuff but he's at least going to be fun he was a lot of fun to watch in vegas uh, aside from him i'll go with prince just because he's the guy that i wanted them to draft i wanted them to draft him when they drafted him they drafted him and I, I've, I've sort of been in on him for a long time so i do like him quite a bit but collins is more fun for sure yeah prince three and d guys i mean that's part of why i think they still re- remain underrated by a lot of people because you know you get them in a gym and they're not going to do a they're bunch boring. of awesome like <laughs> skill development stuff they just so much of what they do is just like the absence of bad you know you're, you're not clogging up the floor by not being able to shoot you know and the other team isn't just killing you you know but even if you're not like locking someone down because that's just so hard to do in this league these days anyway but it, it, so but like the absence of bad is like not very sexy to watch either it's 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 very hawks too to just have the absence of bad because aside from that uh the one hot streak <laughs> of 15 that's been the knock on them forever is that they're so boring to watch and last year they actually were for a while there they were really fun for especially 
except for diehards because of the ball movement stuff. But last year it was, sure. really was a slog. Um, this year they could easily be more entertaining this year and just be and be obviously a lot worse because last year was such a slog throughout the year just because of the fact that the offense was unwatchable. This year it'll be unwatchable in a different way, I suppose. But uh, it could be more entertaining somehow. Yeah, I, I wanted to end on a high note with who you're most excited to watch, but then we just ended up kind of depressing <laughs> ourselves again. <laughs> John Collins throwing down on people. We'll, we'll end on John Collins dunking on everyone because yeah. I talked to him. I talked to him in Vegas, and he he clearly wants to dunk on people. Something that he really enjoys. So he'll be trying at, at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're not going to just be like all pissed off that he's not even playing at all either. But oh, uh, that would be that would be bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the Hawks may actually be, I, I will confess this. I mean, I obviously try to watch every team, cover every team, uh, but they may be the team that I watch the least this year, it, just because there's there's just not that much to learn. Not only, I mean, it, not only just a lack of excitement, but I, there's no one on this team where, you know, other than maybe Prince and Collins, that I don't have really a pretty good idea, I think, uh, of what they already are. I mean, there's a reason why they are one of the three teams that does not have an ESPN, TNT, or ABC game this year, and that, that's the reason so i think you're i think you're i think you will, you will not be alone in largely ignoring the hawks i'll be watching them throughout the season but so if you need if you need anything let me know but <laughs> it'll all right be, before uh, before we cause more people in the atlanta area to injure themselves i should probably let you go but uh tell the people about where they can uh follow this awesome hawk season <laughs> well thanks for that um i am that we uh, fired everyone up for so well here yeah it's it's kind of like my podcast regularly which is uh which is locked on hawks podcast if you follow down at on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. I am on Twitter at BT Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D. And I also write and edit and do all things over at Peachtree Hoops, the SB Nation Hawks site. So if you want to read about this really exciting team, uh, check that out as well. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, thanks uh, to everyone for listening. We'll be back with more season outlooks next time. Till then. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.